Yep, I'm back. Welcome to Cheryl's Get Your Life Back podcast. I'm so glad you are with me again today. I hope some of you listened to my latest broadcast. Um, it, I talked about how a lot of us might have been poor but didn't really realize it. And when I say poor, you may be able to include a little middle class income, especially today. But even back in the days, because sometimes you might have had that and on paper, okay, this is how much I make. But actually, when you get your paycheck, after you pay all of your bills, there's not much left over if anything is left over. So there might have been a sense of pride where you say, well, got all the bills paid. I ain't got to worry about the rent. Now I'm worrying about that. And you know what? That is a great relief because it is another stressor when you don't even know if you can make your rent. And a lot of us been there on and off seasons. I know I have seasons where, yes, everything on point, money left over. I could do a little bit more. I've been in seasons where, oh my God, God, you got to make a way out of no way. If you don't do it, it won't be done. I call it my prayer warriors let's get together and God just parts the Red Sea and move the mountains or you you know you find creative ways and I'm gonna talk about that on this podcast you find creative ways to make ends meet poor can also include homelessness right or po what we call po <laughs> that's when that is homeless that's like I I don't have a what they say a pot to piss in and a, a window to throw it out of Woo! So, you know, and some of us just grew up in where we just had tight incomes. It, it was tight. So you basically kind of, it's a struggle, but you're making it. So we all fit, all of the different categories I mix, we all fit into that pot. But so that podcast was, we might have been poor and didn't know it. This time, I want to talk about what we have learned as being a part of the struggle and learning how to make ends meet. Because there, I always see the positive in things. I try to find the strength. And that's what I do. I help people, first of all, break through barriers and propel into their purpose. And a part of helping people do that is helping them to identify their strength, assess their strength. You know, their uh, treasures, their skills, their talents, their gift, things that they may not be looking at that they can use to help enhance their quality of life in so many ways, even financially. So those are the things I want to talk about. So when we come back, honey, we're going to dive into that. You can still get your life back. Get your life back. It's real. Get your life back. Get your life back. Uh-huh, like I said, we're going to get right back into that, honey. Let me tell you something. I thank God for the skill of hustle. And I think I'm going to probably name this podcast. It's, so for those of you who are listening, I already titled this. Thank God for the skill of hustle or the skill of hustle. <laughs> Part two to we may have been poor, but didn't realize we were poor because we just, our parents just always made a way. Uh, we didn't realize what they were going through because, you know, they protected us back in the days. They didn't tell us every little thing that's going on because they didn't we didn't need those stresses on us. We're supposed to be enjoying our childhood and playing and doing homework and all that stuff and getting involved in extracurriculum activities. So we didn't need to know that. That's more trauma. And, you know, you guys know I talk about trauma all of the time. And so financial trauma is a whole nother thing. You know what? And I can make that another podcast. Talk about the financial trauma. I touched on it a little bit in the last um, uh, episode when I said, you know, we may be poor and we may have been poor and didn't know it. The trauma that comes from that, that we grow up or grew up in an environment or in a family, a situation where money was tight. 
And some days is is you felt it. And so when you get older, sometimes it can materialize or manifest in different ways of trauma. Sometimes the symptoms can be um, you're real stingy. You don't you don't reward yourself. You don't do anything because you in the back of your mind, you're afraid. It's fear, fear based. Your, your behavior is fear based that um, this may go away or I may not have this or something may happen. So I got to hold on to every penny. So you, you don't learn to live still in the moment. Even the Bible says tomorrow, you know, tomorrow's not promised to us. It is not promised. Oh, that's a saying tomorrow's not promised to us. And so even in the Lord, Jesus does say, you know, don't worry about your life, what you should eat, what you should drink. And basically the Bible just lets us know that tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Let's, Think about the things of today. Let's live for today as well. So we have to find the balance between that. You know, um, yes, preparing for tomorrow, being prepared for having a plan, a safety plan, if you will, in case these things happen. That's what savings are for. And a lot of other things we do, we put money away for our retirement and all these things. So that's what that for, that's what that is for. However, at the same time, because tomorrow's not promised to us, we have to learn to enjoy life, enjoy each other, find happiness, find joy in the moment. And there's a lot of ways to do that. So if you just started following me, please subscribe and listen to all of my other podcasts where I talk a lot about the emotional wellness and, and a whole lot of other stuff, you know, healthy relationships and being breaking through barriers and propelling to purpose. Cause that's what I do as a certified life purpose coach. My main, my strength and my goal and my purpose is to help people break through barriers and propel into their purpose and help them identify. Part of that is helping them to identify and assess their strength. And that's what I'm talking about today. Your strength, what you have learned if you are one who grew up like I did, <laughs> where money was tight. And so when I you hear me use the word hood, I'm not necessarily talking about the ghetto hood. I'm talking about whatever neighborhood you grew up in, whether it was poor or middle class, thing where things were still tight. Because I know a lot of people in middle class, they don't have the money to send their kids to college because they they got just enough to make those bills and maybe have a little bit left over. It depends on everybody's lifestyle. Some people got school loans they're still paying on. Come on, somebody. Everybody that graduates from college as a doctor and a lawyer don't just jump into money unless they inherited money or their family have a business or something. You have to pay back student loans unless you had a full ride going through college and, and graduate school and law school and medical school <laughs> in some kind of way. You didn't have to worry about that. You, you may have a little upper hand. However, you have to work your way into that. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, the coming into wealth and being able to have money left over and, and have more than enough. <laughs> but I thank God for the skill of hustle. So let me tell you a little bit about and some of you can identify with this. And I'm telling you, I definitely have. That's, this is where I got some of my hustle from. And I realized there's more as I became an adult. I looked back and said, wow, I learned a lot about hustle from my parents. I really did. Um, my parents used to have full poker games in the house. Some of you know about these card games where you had a, what do you call it? People paid a table stick or something at the door and every table had a different price you had to come in with playing the game. But I'm talking about we grew up in a project. Well, first we grew up in a, uh, we had a nice apartment housing, but um, in another testimonial, I talked about how we had a fire and my 
My biological dad had to rescue with just me and my oldest brother at the time from that apartment. So we moved into the projects because the projects are what they call um, houses, uh, public housing. It put us up free for a whole year. So if you, you have two little kids... Okay, and you don't have a, maybe a, thousands of dollars or whatever you need, a couple of hundreds to move right into another apartment. You just about lost almost everything. And apartment, somebody, a management offer you to live in their apartments for a whole year. Chances are you may take that. No one say you have to stay there, but you may like, you know, well, come on, this is a rescue. And back then, the public housing that my parents moved into, you know, were, were really nice. It was mixed. It was a lot of diversity. My mother said there's a lot of, there was Caucasian people. There was Jewish people. There was black people. There was Spanish people. And the neighborhood was really nice back then. It was brand new when she moved in. So that, that creates a whole nother, um, transition and change. However, we would have, they would have these poker games. You know, I'm just a little kid watching all these adults coming in, bringing in their money, putting it on the table. My parents had poker tables where they had little areas. You can put the poker chips and the cards and then they had their money. I was like, I, it was like a little Atlantic city in my apartment. <laughs> Very interesting. As I look back, in retrospect. Anyway, yes, honey. So we had, my mother and father would make money from that. My, this is my stepdad now, my um, biological dad and my mom split. So in, he was still involved in my life, but now I'm talking about my mother. She remarried again. And so I have my stepfather who's from Barbados. My mother's from the South. And so they hustle because a little backstory, it was first, it was just me and my mother, me, my oldest brother and my mother after my after our dad um, and my mother split. So my mother worked, but she couldn't keep like a full-time job all of the time because my oldest brother have a developmental disability. So a lot of times she had to do a lot of things for him, which is so great. She did early intervention, found about all these programs. So she was constantly being busy, like going to different appointments and medical appointments and taking a psychiatrist and going to therapy, you know, doing a whole lot of work and finding programs to get him into and educating herself on developmental disabilities. Back then they call it mental retardation, but you know, we got away from that word because it just, you know, have such a negative connotation to it. So she did a lot of that as a parent. And you can imagine being a primary parent and doing most of the work. That's a lot of stress is a lot. So we had some help, some assistance from public assistance at the time to try to help alleviate all of that, because who can keep a full-time job and you are, you know, you need to take care of all these things, take care of your children as a single parent now. So I understand looking back. My mother had great, I remember her working at a couple of jobs. I remember she worked for the airlines. She was, um, what do you call it? When, you know, when you clean the air, airplanes, I remember her doing that for a while. And she, a lot of times what she did do, cause come on, she ain't just depend on the system. My mother always did some kind of side hustle. Okay. Follow me. I'm going somewhere. And she, yeah, she did a lot of, she did a lot of living work before she even had us, but she did a lot of direct care work. She did. Um, home health assistance, home health care, you know, all of those type of jobs because it gave her the flexibility to do what she, to be there for us as a single parent with a boy and a little, a little boy and a girl and having a son who have developmental disabilities. I can't even imagine doing all that. When I look back, I'm like, my mother was strong. Oh my God. But anyway, so that was the backstory. So now she married my stepfather. So them two together, he worked too. Now he worked as a security officer and, a, and some other things that he did. I don't remember him coming home. I remember him coming home all of the time in uniform, hat, gun, all that kind of stuff. So 
but they still hustle on the side because those are not high paying jobs. And like I said, my mother work was inconsistent, but she always found a way to make money. Now, of course it wasn't legal to be running some poker games and the projects, but you know, folks do what they feel like they need to do to take care of their kids. <laughs> so I can't fault them for that. You know, like I said, but there's some things I've learned from it. So that's where I'm going to go. So yes, we had the poker games and sometime if they uh, want to set up another uh, table, they ever use one of the bedrooms because at this point we had like three bedrooms and one of those bedrooms will be converted into a little casino. So then there was a table stake back there for a different price, maybe $50, maybe $100. I think the table in the back was for more money, if I can recall right. And the, and the big poker table in the front, I don't remember. <laughs> and I've never learned how to play poker. Are you surprised? I've never learned. I just really wasn't into... Only thing I played back then was spades, you know, and, and pity pat and those kind of games. Uno, okay. Um, but yeah, so we had that. But I was thinking even then, and my parents did this as well, folks were hustling. Folks was doing, there was a lot of people, just because you people live in the projects don't mean everybody's on a system. A lot of people worked at blue collar jobs. Some had middle class incomes, but you got to remember back then, first of all, the rent was not expensive. So a lot of times people just felt more comfortable staying there because they don't have to kick out a lot of money. I knew people I grew up with who parents was making decent money. They, some of them worked for transit. Some of them worked at the airport. Some of them were teachers. Some of them were nurses. Some of them did a lot of other these police officers. Okay. I remember them coming to the house. However, the rent was less. So they use the rest of that money to travel and do those other things, you know, before it got really, really bad, you know, so I've seen just because you live in a project don't mean you're poor actually. Okay. It doesn't mean you, everybody's on public assistance and collective food stamp checks. And that's not reality. Now, maybe things have increased over the years, but I just remember these, these were hardworking people that actually came to the guard games because all, a lot of them had career jobs and a lot of them worked for civil service jobs. They worked for the city. They worked for the government. Okay. But this was their extra hustle playing those card games. This was extra money for them. Some of them did all that. Oh, I like to talk about that too. The susus, um, not the pyramid one scheme, but the susus where they put their money together and everybody collected from a pot every month depending on how much it is, a lot of them use that money. It's like we kept our own bank because some of you know the history of Susu. A lot of times um, uh, black people, African-Americans or other ethnic, quote-unquote ethnic, you know, that's a whole nother podcast of where that term came from. But anyway, um, people from ethnic backgrounds could not bank at um, banking institutions. So... Uh, we had to find ways to save money within our own community. And I wish we would go back to that. And it's unfortunate today that a lot of banking institutions and financial institutions have actually borrowed from that whole method. They even have some type of susu programs within their banking thing, but yet they wanted to shun it back in the days. But I liked it because I've, I've met a lot of people who bought their houses, put their children through college by being part of susus from responsible people. Cause that's a whole nother thing. It had to be people that you trust. And a lot of times people would do it with their coworkers on their job because that was consistent money. That was a people had a consistent income. So you can't pretty much most of the time depend on everybody to put in their money every month. And then every month, somebody will get chance to take all of the money that everybody put in. So if you got like 25 people putting in a hundred dollars a week, can you imagine at the end of that month, how many thousands of dollars that is? You can take that pot, 
put down on a car or buy a car back then, uh, put down on a house. And so I remember I had a hair, I had a client cause I'm gonna get into, you know, when I became, I was that hair, the neighborhood hairdresser, but I had a client, an older woman, she was a nurse, she made good money. Her and her husband had a house. I forgot what he did. And now, now I'm in my twenties at the, at that point. But I remember her talking about, she's from Jamaica and cause a, cause a lot of that Susu method came from Africa and a lot of people from the Caribbean would practice this method so they can help each other out. Let's talk about some susus, right? <laughs> I've been wanting to do that for a little while now. I was kind of thinking of how I can kind of do something like that. But anyway, um, they would put their money together. So she said it was doctors and nurses and other medical staff at the hospital that was part of the susu. And she said, this is how I put my child through college. This is how me and my husband got this house. That's how I got my car. I was like, Hmm, I'm going to have to revisit this. Okay. So there's a lot that they did to empower. That's financial empowerment. Fin be financially empowered enough to take care of themselves and other people. So it wasn't a selfish thing. You cared everybody. It was a win-win situation, bottom line. So yes, honey. So <clears throat> I grew up with folks not only had these games and, and all these other hustles and susus and stuff. Folks had, I remember the, the apartment candy shop. I remember us sometimes selling candy at the house because, you know, you got folks coming on, especially our little friends and peers, you, especially if they know you have a parent that likes to buy snacks and candy and want to get this and get that. After a while, you'd be like, okay, five cents, 10 cents, contribute to the household since you want to come here and eat. <laughs> but at these poker games, wait a minute now, my parents would sell Chicken sandwiches, and I'm talking about the quarter leg chicken. And I used to help my mother fry. Oh my gosh, I got so tired of cleaning those chicken legs because you know thighs and legs are not the easiest to clean because you got to pull out, yes, pull out all that stuff in it. I'm not going to name it, <laughs> not going to get too descriptive, but it takes a lot more work. So we got double sinks, cleaning chicken, rinsing it off, seasoning it, frying it. So I was in there helping her. So, you know, like I said, I've learned that. Hustle, okay? Making chicken sandwiches and making full dinners. And then my mother had the nerve to make pies and cakes sometime when she wanted to make a little extra. So you know how this would help what I learned? Sometimes doing the poker games, you might not come out making a lot of money. A lot of times they made a couple of thousands of dollars and they made a couple of hundreds. Sometimes they, they didn't have much left over that they made. They just had fun playing games. But how they leveraged that income was by serving dinners and sandwiches and drinks that I, let me not leave out the drink because we also had a bar at some point and up yes i know it shouldn't shouldn't have even been exposed to this stuff <laughs> but i like i said my my job my goal is not to look back and blame anything it's to learn from and understand why you understand so um I remember the bar being in the house and it was looking at, and good thing, like I said, ooh, being exposed to that stuff, I could have turned into a drinker and this and whatever, but I thank God that I did not, you know, do drugs and get into drinking and all the other kind of stuff. But I could have being a young person, child and teenager, and I'm helping, I'm at the bar and I'm helping my mother serve this food and my father served these food and drinks and all kinds of stuff. But they did the drink, the hot drinks. But yes, yeah, so come on now. I mean, they sold cans of soda, bottles of soda, wh whatever. Everything was for sale. So the chicken sandwiches were $2.50. I remember that price. And the dinners were like five five to $10. I mean, so that helped them leverage that income. So whatever they didn't make from the poker game, they had some money from selling some food. So I ain't mad at them. 
but also people for I remember other neighbors selling like icy pops and all kinds of stuff from their apartment. You can go to so and so's house, Miss Ann's house, get some pies and cakes. You know, there was always somebody known for selling or making something too. So we was very skillful and creative people. That's entrepreneurship at the heart, right? That hustle, that grind, that being innovative, being creative, thinking of ways to solve a problem. That's what business people do. As an entrepreneur, you find ways to solve a problem and create a product or a service out of that need. So you do a needs assessment and then you create something to help people and at the same time, make a living for yourself doing what you love to do. That's why I'm so happy to be a certified purpose life, life purpose coach because I get to help people do just that. Dig deep. And you know what? There's something there. You ain't look hard enough. You're not looking at all, like everything I just mentioned. I can see the strengths and I can see the skills learned from all of these experiences. And even when I learned from my parents and, and I look at myself today and like, wow, that's where this come from. Like, ain't no, it's not just sitting down in here and giving up. There got to be something I can do. And I have another podcast where I talked about my, I, sh- I talked about my testimony or shared my testimonial or how when I went through a period when I was on unemployment and I was sitting at the computer and I was like, God, this is why I think I was on a computer applying for jobs. You know how when you're on unemployment that you got to go to the site and look for whatever jobs available. And I, and then you had to submit at that time, this was in New York. You had to submit receipts or proof of places you actually applied for a job at. Right. So I remember sitting there, God, God, there's something in my hands. I want to use what's in my hands. There's something that you have given me. And it took me back to some love and passions I had, even in my childhood, that I can operate in now, that it was now time to manifest and actualize. So I share that too, but God is so good. But anyway, so what have you learned? If any of you can identify with anything that I mentioned, including, oh wait, including me being a neighborhood hairdresser, because as a teenager, I started doing, well, I was doing hair from childhood and I had a love and passion for again I'm a creative person and this was developing so I was really good at coming up with creative ways to do hair and hair art and design and with braids and twists and locks and just the hair itself and I so I developed a love for it I even went to cosmetology school and got a license so yeah I'm a licensed cosmetologist as well but um, I used to do hair around the way I was the hair, the neighborhood hairdresser. So I would make, first I was doing hair for free. You know how it goes. You do hair for free, hair and there. Then as I got a little older, I was like, I started getting smart. I was like, hold up. Because I realized I wanted, at that point, I wanted to make this a career. And uh, uh, I started charging a little money, a little $35, $50, and $100 for braids and, and weaves and all kinds. And I was doing relaxer. I shouldn't have been doing nobody's relaxer and using no lie. <laughs> But I ain't going to lie to you. And yes, I was doing relaxers because, you know, they had the kits. So to be honest, it wasn't really, well, it was illegal to charge, of course, and try to make money. But it wasn't illegal to use a relaxer on your hair because you, you can buy from the store. There was at-home kits that you do your own hair with. Now, when you start charging fees and setting up a little business, that little son different. Like I said, I was an entrepreneur and didn't even realize it then. <laughs> but I was making a little money. You know what I'm saying? And I remember some of the sisters back in the days, they used to go boosting. They used to go, you know, to the, the big department stores and steal clothes. Oh, God, unfortunately, sometimes they was in and out of jail. And they was buying furs and leathers and all kinds of designer wear. That's a whole nother episode podcast, right? Um, 
And so sometimes if they didn't have the cash right away, they'd be like, I'll bring you back a skirt. I'll bring you back a coat. If you give me some box braids. So, you know, we did the bartering. It was bartering, okay? We was exchanging business. We was exporting and, and importing. <laughs> so, yeah, that was me. I, my hustle was doing hair around the way. That's what I was doing. But what I've learned, I've learned the hustle and the grind. How many of you learn from those experiences? Again, if you can identify with growing up this way, we learn the art of multitasking. Come on, somebody doing more than one, more than one thing at a time. Okay. Cause you have to, you have to do that when you creating a business and when you got money going over here, you got to organize stuff. You got to, so you learn planning, right? You got to plan, you got to schedule create appointments, whatever. These things take, you have to sit down and, and plan these things out. You know, you got to think about the people you are, are a part of participating in whatever service or product that you have. In my parents' case, it was the people who like to play cards. You know what I'm saying? They want to come by and they, you know, they get, you know, because it was word of mouth that people started coming and more people started coming. The household was full. It was noisy up until like three or four o'clock in the morning. That's when folks went home. So, of course, we had to go to bed a certain time. We was in our room. But, you know, sometimes we did not go to sleep. But we was doing our little things in the room, playing games, watching TV. Sometimes I would have company, my little best friends or friends I had live in the building come and spend a night and all that. So, it kept us busy. So, we wouldn't keep coming and interrupting the adults. <laughs> but, anyway, yeah, leadership ability, right? You learn to be a leader. Because you got to, like I said, orchestrate all of this stuff as a leader. So I want you to see the, the strength that you may have uh, maybe ignored and didn't realize that you actually possess all of this stuff. But you didn't think about back in the days growing up in situations where you saw your parents try to make a dollar out of 15 cents. You learn how to do some type of management skill because you had to manage all of this. Especially if you were doing it weekly and monthly, you have to manage this on a weekly and monthly basis. So you learn organizational skills. I'm trying to help somebody today. And that's just the name of you. So, oh my God, I would love to see your commentaries. I want to hear about your experiences. And you know what? If somebody on here, you know, likes to do podcasts and, or you have a podcast and you want to collaborate, we can continue this discussion. I like to hear your experience. Maybe I can interview you and hear about how it was for you growing up. And like I said, in the same situation that I did. And like I said, I'm not just talking about the hood, like the projects or, or the ghetto or anything like that. Just growing up in your regular neighborhood, middle class, low to middle class neighborhood, maybe higher neighborhood. You, you know, come on now. There's some hustlers out there. They just hustling on a different level. Okay. They make maybe they're pulling in six figures or more, but they did it by hustling. So this includes all income categories, not just low or poor, all income categories. I know that some people out there with some stories, you just didn't know maybe how your parents is making that money. So some of the hustle is not only illegal hustling, but, but legal hustling, but just making things happen. So when I'm saying hustling, you might want to associate it with entrepreneurship or you might want to associate it with just, you know, doing things on the side and maybe doing some things that was not the best practices, but that was your experience. And I would love to hear about it. <laughs> but anyway, um, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I actually did. I actually enjoyed this episode as well. And I want to talk more about this. In the meantime, you be blessed.